Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. <gasps> yeah, yeah. Without further ado, 
introduce, all of a sudden, it didn't matter who he was. He had a last name that screamed heel, so people decided to boo him, and it worked, and it works well. Ladies and gentlemen, Arya Davari, how are you tonight, sir? I'm doing well, man. How are you doing? I'm doing fantastic. How's the day been? Day's been good, you know. Got up early, got a good workout in, did some grocery shopping. So, you know, now that I got a wrestle on TV, kind of got the bug to hit the gym extra hard. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, you you come from uh, uh, a a background of, you know, your your older brother's been a wrestler for a while now, and you live in a state that is just, (laughs) it is just like uh, overtly, just um, immersed with wrestling history. Was that an inspiration to become a wrestler, your brother and your Minnesota uh, heritage, or was it something else, or did it just spawn on you? What inspired you to be a pro wrestler? Um, In in all honesty, you know, I I think a lot of people, the mistake they make is they assume because my brother was on TV a while ago that he must be an older guy. So my brother is actually one of the youngest contracted WWE stars ever. I think he was like mm-hmm. 20 or tw- 20 or 21. And uh, so we really started watching wrestling when we were kids. And when we were kids, it was like 1997, 1998. So we actually grew up watching the Attitude Era, which was, mm-hmm. you know, ar- arguably the most popular time in wrestling that almost everybody was watching. And that's exactly when we got hooked. I believe he was 14 years old. I was eight years old. And we were just hooked into it immediately. And not too long after that, he started training and became an independent wrestler by the time he was 17. Mm-hmm. So we got our main inspirations, I think, from that generation that inspired a lot of people. Um, and that was during the Attitude Era. Mm-hmm. Now, who was your favorite Attitude Era wrestler? <laughs> uh, you know, the funny thing is, I think of, like, I'm thinking back in my head, like, who was all over my, on, like, the walls of my bedroom, like, posters and stuff like that. And honestly, it was, it was all of them. I remember it was like Triple H, Taker, uh, Foley, Rock, and Austin, and then later on Kurt Angle and Chris Jericho as well too. Nice, yeah. Is there a memorable match that you remember in the, or not necessarily match? You know, a match could be your answer, but even a memorable moment that you that you can recall from the Attitude Era. Um, I, I want to say the first draw that I watched was. I think I was going into King of the Ring 98. It has something to do with Austin and Kane. I think it was, I don't know if you got like the blood dumped on him or something like that. But it was something around that time. That was the first Because uh, funny enough, we were actually big WCW fans. We started watching that first. Oh, nice. And eventually made our way over to watching WWF. And uh, that was like one, that's like in my head. It's like burned in my head. It's like my first WWF, WWE memory which mm-hmm. I know that sounds so recent, recent for a lot of people, but like you said, like I was having seven or eight years old when that was on. Yeah. I mean, the thing, you know, what's so funny about that, you know, the attitude era seems far, but it seems recent, but if we, the heart of the Monday night wars is approaching 20 years. That's the, that's the crazy part of, I mean, it's like, wow, 20 years ago, I mean, you know, the, 20 years ago to the month was the inception of uh, the Hogan heel turn in the NWO. I mean, that's... Right, yeah, yeah, I just saw that. 
Yeah, I mean, I do you recall that moment? Where you do, do you remember what you were doing at that time? I wasn't even a wrestling fan yet. Uh, when I started watching wrestling, the NWO was already formed. Oh, so about a year later after that, huh? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm telling like, like I said, when I would talk about, yeah, I started watching wrestling when I was a kid. Like, that's when I was a young kid. I was seven yeah. or eight. Yeah. Wow. So you said that you were a, a WCW fan back in 97. I was, too. I was... Uh, uh, I grew up in the 80s, and I was a huge NWA fan. I liked WWE, WWF at the time, uh, but I was I was NWA blood, man. So as far as WCW, what were some of the wrestlers that you remember just kind of emulating as a kid? Uh, it was definitely Rey Mysterio. Mm-hmm. I specifically yeah, remember mm-hmm. uh, we, we had the mask and stuff, and we had, like, a trampoline in our backyard, so we'd put the mask on and go do, like, backflips and stuff on the trampoline. Like, mm-hmm. I don't know if it's just because, like, he's obviously a smaller guy, so the younger kid, you can relate to that a little bit more. He just, <laughs> like, I think as a little kid, I was like, oh, he must be a kid, too, or something. Like, so it just made it that much <laughs> It just made it that much more fun. But, I mean, you know, we painted our face like Sting, and we did all the stuff that I think all kids did around that time. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's that. That's very true there. So it's interesting because we talk about time, you know, time ago, as far as that was almost 20 years ago. You've been in the business for 10 years now, haven't you? Yeah, around uh, sometime this September is 10 years. I forget the date. I used to remember, but I forgot. Um, wow. Yeah, I started when I was, I started when I was 17, like mm-hmm. around, I think it was like end of 2006, early 2007. Yeah, I was just thinking about it not too long ago. It kind of just like dawned on my head, or dawned in my head like a couple of months ago. But I was like, oh wow, it's almost ten years. That's crazy. Yeah. yeah. So what made you like? Okay, so you know your brother's six or so years older than you, and you know ten years ago, you know he was really in the heat of oh um, six. I think it was around the time he was managing Kurt Angle and and Mark Henry. If I, well, yeah, the Mark the Mark Henry Kurt Angle time. Um, yes. about a, about a year prior, a uh, year or two prior was, uh, his most heated moment around the Muhammad Hassan. So what was it? I mean, what was that definitive moment that said, okay, well, I want to become a wrestler. Um, honestly, I, my brother, I think he started in 1999. So he was an independent, he was an independent wrestler from like 99 to, I want to say 2004, and so when he was being, he was an independent wrestler, it was cool. Like, I guess none of us really fathomed that he'd ever make it to WWE. Like, I guess it's just not something we thought about. And I want to say it was 2001, WrestleMania 17. I remember that was the, mm-hmm. I was starting to get a little, little bit older. And then that's that, I remember the main event of Rock and Austin was the first thing as like a kid that I was like really sucked into, like very emotionally as well too. Mm-hmm. And uh, I remember watching like, that's when, like, the obsession went, like, overboard, like, over the top with wrestling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think it was, like, a year or two after that. Like, that's when, like, wrestling on the trampoline became, like, every single day thing. Like, I think it was around that time. I was like, oh, as soon as I can become a wrestler, I'm going to. Yeah, yeah. Uh, 17 sticks out for me um, as one of my favorite. I, I think it was the greatest one of all time, personally. Uh, emotionally, three. I'm tied into WrestleMania three, Hogan, Andre, of course. But as far as just bell to bell, as far as just build, seventeen is just a cut above the rest of me. So I totally agree with you as far as uh, WrestleMania seventeen being such a standout. 
uh, for anyone to be inspired to be, become a wrestler. And, of course, your brother doing it uh, just added on to it for sure. So within these 10 years, who are some of the best people you can, you can just kind of think about that you've worked with so far? Um, I mean, there's a lot of guys from Minnesota. Um, two guys that come to mind is one wrestler named Ryan Cruz. He's just a, he's a local Minnesota guy. And then one who's more well-known as the anarchist, Eric Cannon. Um, mm-hmm. He wrestled for like Dragon Gate USA and a few other places. Uh, he's probably, they're two of my favorite opponents here um, locally in Minnesota. But I mean, this is always a tough question because I have to sit back and like think of all the guys that I've worked with. But like, mm-hmm. honestly, like I've had, you have good matches with the guys who you hear about who you know are good. Like, I wrestled with Roderick Strong and Bobby Fish and Michael Elgin. Like, they're all, everyone knows they're great wrestlers. So, like, we had great matches. Like, they're a lot of fun. So, uh, I mean, so, like I said, the guys that you would, I think, gel with really well. It's just, you know, it's going to be a night off. That's obviously, I think, all the dudes who I work with more regularly here in Minnesota, you know, Wisconsin, Midwest area. But, as far as more well-known names, like anyone who you everyone already knows is a good wrestler. Like you're not going to have a bad match with them. Yeah. Yeah. That's a uh, definitely a good point. And, and so with the, with the 10 years and with the tenure, what was it? What was the moment that uh, the WWE reached out to you and said, you're one of the um, competitors for the cruiserweight classic who reached out to you and, and what was your feeling? Was it was it one of those things that, you know, I've been in the business 10 years and, you know, finally made, you know, got that big spot. How was your feeling, you know, with being selected and who reached out to you? Uh, Canyon Seaman was the guy who reached out to me. And uh, mm-hmm. it was actually just a, it was a good feeling because I knew I accomplished it through hard work. Um, I didn't just get emailed for this out of the blue. Um, I've gone to do extra work. Um, anytime Raw comes to the Midwest or Minneapolis area, I always go do extra work. You got to do like tryout matches while you're there. So I think I've done that like six or seven times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wrestled a I wrestled a dark match. Me and an, a local wrestler here, uh, we tagged together in a handicap match against Great Kali. Um, I did an NXT tryout. I was at the one that Kevin Owens was at and a few other guys. Um, so I did that. So like I've been on their radar and. And, you know, I always showed up and I kept kind of, you know, busting my ass and showing that I wanted this. And I think I always performed well, or at least good enough that when they started thinking of guys for the tournament, they thought of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, it definitely uh, definitely worked out for you. Now, what would you grade your overall, uh, your brother's overall run in the WWE? Now, he had some real, real high spots and then he had some, some lower spots, too. I interviewed him last year. Um, and he, you know, he spoke about some, some, some things as far as <laughs> that he wasn't very happy about as far as some pitches that, uh, that he was given or, or suggested, strongly suggested. And then his not, and the pitches that he had didn't really go too far. Um, now just kind of a, a, a 20,000-foot view or 10,000-foot view of, of your brother's career in WWE, how would you critique it? Uh, I thought it was great. So, I mean, anything he told you after the Muhammad Hassan stuff, like, he told you probably just as much as he tells me as well, too, so I don't mm-hmm. know anything extra. And I read your article that you wrote, too. It was fantastic. But everything Thank that you. was in that article, 
everything I read in that article, he's told me that and, and nothing more. So I guess I don't know too much about it. But personally, when I go back and watch that stuff, you know, when I was watching it live, I wasn't a wrestler yet. I was still just a fan. And, you know, it's kind of yeah. different when you're, watch, you're watching your own brother. It's just exciting no matter what. But once mm-hmm. I became a wrestler and I, I, I became a wrestler and learned the business a little bit more, I can go back and watch it and I appreciate it a lot more because they had some crazy heat. Like, you don't hear, you don't see any heels getting booed like that. Today. Oh, yeah, like, exactly. It, it yeah. was like death, it was like deafening in the, when they would come out or anytime my brother would talk in Farsi and like any time a baby face beat him up, the place would erupt in cheers and mm-hmm. USA champions. It's crazy. So like, and I always kind of dug that about pro wrestling. It says why I kind of, you know, I wanted to, I really wanted to be a heel in this cruiserweight classic. I wanted to be a bad guy. That's what I feel like my role is as a professional wrestler. That's why I did it. So it definitely yeah. drives some inspiration for my brother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean it was it was mirrored to Sergeant Slaughter in 1991. Um, you know, oh, yeah. it was it was that type of heat, and you know that was ten year over ten years ago, and we really haven't got much. We haven't really had that heat from a from a wrestler uh, since then uh, with Davari and Hassan. Uh, Vicky Guerrero elicits that much that that type of heat. Um, you know, but she does. She doesn't play a wrestling, or she didn't play a wrestling role. So there hasn't been many selections of people that has elicited that much heat and that type of hatred. You know, of heat. You know, that's that's why kayfabe is so amazing to me, and that's why kayfabe should never die in pro wrestling, because it gets to the point where you're so attached to the character, whether you love them or you hate them. You love the journey that comes with the bad guy finally getting his, you know, uh, that that moment where he finally gets dethroned from some type of dominant status or, you know, that baby face finally rising above the ashes and uh, getting his, you know, his moment or her moment, you know, and, and I think that uh, just continuing to hone that and for people to really understand the character is so, so important. So unfortunately, you did lose. To, I think it was Ho Ho Loon that you lost to, and mm-hmm. which I was surprised when I saw that match because, I mean, Loon is good, um, but uh, you know a lot of people knew you more than more than Loon. But it seemed like they were trying to attract the China, China audience. Um, so was it just a one-time thing, or is there any type of hopes of? Uh, um, getting called up to the main roster since Raw's having a cruiserweight division now? Um, as far as I know, honestly, right now, it just seems like a one-time thing. I don't know what their plans are. I like the, a lot of people assume they tell us like everything, you know, the, the cruiserweight division being exclusive to Raw was a surprise to me. I didn't know mm-hmm. that. They didn't tell us that. So they really just kind of tell you things as they go. So, you know, I would like to think or at least hope that at some point maybe I'll do something else. But as of right now, as far as my knowledge goes, it's just that one match. Yeah, well, I, I definitely hope that uh, you would have an opportunity to, you know, come back. Because, uh, you know, it's so funny because that's the first time that you were on WWE television or network television um, on a role that you were highlighted. And you automatically elicit booze because you, because the Davari is attached to your name 
And so that type of steam can be utilized to be such a prominent figure um, in the cruiserweight division on the main roster. You can be, you know, you can bring that heel heat up to, to Raw because they need, you know, it's good to watch a good match. It's good to watch just, you know, bell to bell, spot after spot after spot. But, you know, you need those characters. And I think that uh, in the Cruiserweight Classic, from what I've noticed so far, some great, excellent matches. Uh, but you were one of the people who really honed in the character aspect of it as well. So definitely hope to see you back in the WWE soon. Thank you. I hope so as well, too. Absolutely. So where can we find you? Um, I do have a Twitter. It's um, at Aria Davari 411 A-R-I-Y-A-D-A-I-Z-A-R-I-411. I know it's a mouthful and not the best one, but it's my first name, my last name, 411. Um, that's my Twitter handle. Um, Instagram, at Aria Davari. I'm on Facebook as well, too. And then uh, if any promoters want to book me for a show, it's Arya Davari, the number one, at gmail.com as well, too. Perfect. It's been a pleasure, Arya. Thanks for coming on the show, man. Hey, thank you very much for having me. All right. Thanks. Bring what you got. The measuring stick just changed around here, buddy. You're looking at it. Four corners. Three. Our mind. Let's go. The whole squad is making it clear We taking this year You know who we are But you don't know why we here So this is where the big boys play These big boys play Like who defies the living guy Get out the big boys way Outsiders with the swoop in We live as kings You see in us But our third man waits in the wings And when the time is right We shock him with the proper attack I go for dolo but ain't solo Cut the promo in black Hollywood Hendrix Frizzle pinning them to the max. And I'm Wonderkin with the strength of a hundred men. With one intent to see the will fulfilled of the one who sent his son to give himself. But you rap about your gas and your rags torture. White coffins when I drop a bomb. My mic's awesome. Never lost faith. You in all space. You can all skate. Suffer but never crippled. No bin walls in my cross face. From here to Saturday raving. Anticipating. I was frostbit. Now I am glacier. Mixed with some Vader. Get to hawking with these animals. You God for my defense in Alabama, we jamming. That's beautiful, Bobby Eaton, me and Priest. We the dangerous alliance, nah, the Harlem Heat. Tie the do-rag before we do battle. You're talking shit, you are what you speak. This too sweet. Till the genre is took back, we repping that work pack. The foundation's shaking, no mistaking, yeah, we shook that. Trusting God, we trust, pushing forward, never look back. Meekness ain't at all weakness, some people mistook that. Stamping out this crook rap, he turning the power. We're on, on the razor's edge, leg drop after a power bomb. Tired of the lies, man, we bringing the truth through. Diligent and fruitful, the owners in our group too. It's good to be king, sold out this war is brutal. We playing them war games, our army go move too. You too, I'm in the raptors with a bat in my hand. And stand to shatter all your plans so they don't matter. In the grand scheme, it's that easy. We tag teaming, Steiner brothers, we love it. Demand the win, establish it. This the class to the champion. <laughs> this is where the big boys play, huh? We ain't here to play. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much to Aria Davari for coming on the show tonight. Uh, great interview, great uh, just uh, a crash course and, and, and nice little splash 
uh, into his career. Uh, Ten years in the in the business, and uh, definitely so much more to go. He's a really young guy, uh, so he has so much more to go as far as his career. And having 10, 10, 10 years under his belt is a big deal. And it was even if it was just one night, um, the very fact that, like I said, he's he's a Davari, and Davari has such a uh, a very popular lineage so far in the business, uh, such a popular history in the business so far with uh, with his his brother Sean. And what he's done in the WWE and TNA, uh, so yeah, it's 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 really going to be interesting to see where Ari goes. He has the heel yeah, uh, type of uh, character already prepared, and uh, that can just only get better. So thank you so much, Arya, for being on the show. Uh, congratulations for your opportunity to be uh, a member of the Cruiserweight Classic. Without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, I'd like to introduce the guest host for this evening. None other than former Bleach Report feature columnist and owner, webmaster of TJR Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, John Canton, how are you tonight, sir? Good buddy, how are you? Thanks for inviting me on the show. I, I enjoyed the interview with Tavari there. And I like yeah, the yeah. those songs you had going too. That was awesome. <laughs> you said what was awesome? The NWO song that was playing before I came on. It was awesome. Oh, thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, that's uh, one of the uh, two theme songs of the show. I appreciate it. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, without further ado, let's get into the headlines. Here we go. All right, ladies and gentlemen, the first headline of the night is... Just a recap of the Cruiserweight Classic before we get into the actual headlines. John, what is your uh, takeaways from the Cruiserweight Classic last week? I've enjoyed it. Um, I, I'm writing the detailed reviews for it on TJWrestling.net, so it's been a lot of fun. The one thing I like about the matches on it is, you know how like you can see a typical W match that goes seven or eight minutes, they might like throw in a headlock for like three minutes or whatever. When you watch these guys, they're going all out for seven minutes. Like they're making the most of the time, right? So it's been a lot of fun to see. Like I, I like TJ Perkins. I've, I've I've had a chance. I know him a little bit. We, he was on our radio show a couple of months ago, and I mean he showed so much personality and flair in his match, and I'm just really impressed by it. Uh-huh. Uh, your audio is uh, going in and out. You said who was uh, on the show recently? Uh, uh, who was on your podcast? TJ Perkins. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, TJ Perkins is a uh, is one of the most to me. He's one of the most popular names that's on uh, the list of competitors just for you know his uh, very very popular indie work and as far as uh, playing suicide and manic as well. So uh, in this you know TNA history. So yeah, he's uh, he's awesome. Uh, he did really good. I, I think that that was probably the funnest match was him and Demac. Um, yeah. It was a very stylish, very uh, character-driven match. Yeah, yeah. I, I absolutely loved it. The Max theme song was awesome. Uh, I think yeah. his character was awesome. Uh, and then T.J. Perkins, uh, he, he he kind of uh, he kind of was a bit different than what we saw in TNA. You know, he does a lot of indie work too, so he does a lot of yeah. stuff in the indies as far as his character, but. You know, as far as the TV is concerned, we're we're not used to seeing TJ Perkins with that type of swagger to him. 
Well, that's the thing when you're in, when you're in WWE, and Devore was mentioning that too. You got to be a character, you know. You can't just be go out there and be indie wrestler, you know, number one or whatever. You got to be, you got to show that personality in order to stand out from the pack, right? And like you said, the Mac dancing and all that kind of stuff, his entrance and all that kind of stuff. And I think TJ did a good job of that too. And yeah, right. I enjoyed uh, Mustafa Ali and, and the Devore match. That was really fascinating. Oh, yeah. also. Oh my goodness, absolutely. That match was absolutely amazing. I was going to mention that as well. Um from from a style, from a character standpoint, TJP and the Mac was good, but I think from bell to bell, Alince Dorado and Mustafa Ali was probably the best match of the night. It was absolutely amazing. Um and then uh, Tozawa and Kenneth Johnson was good, but I think that I, I think that the yeah, I, I think that the people that were so big into, was so much into Lince Dorado and Mustafa Ali that it was a, that, that match as a main event uh, kind of was like the Chris Jericho and Triple H match at 18 yeah. after Rock and, uh, Rock and uh, uh, Hogan. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, it's one of those things where, you know, the company, I believe, they want to sign Akira Tozawa. He's, he's a good performer. Matthew Johnson was okay, and I think Dana Bryan did a good job of trying to put over Kenneth Johnson all the stuff that he overcame in his career and stuff like that. So it, it, it gave him more time than the other matches, also, but it wasn't as good as the other matches, you're right. And I mean, the one before, the week before with Ibushi, I think that was the best match of any, any so far. Oh, yeah, that match was awesome. And I'm a big, you know, a big fan of Cedric Alexander. He's been on the show before. Yeah. And uh, yeah, he you know he was talking. He was on my show a few weeks back to promote it. And uh, yeah, I mean he was talking about how he lost twenty to twenty five pounds. Um, to he was asked or he was told <laughs> to to lose the yeah. ma- to to lose twenty to twenty five pounds to actually get into the classic. He looks phenomenal compared to uh, his days in ROH. I mean he wasn't you know, he didn't look horrible, but you can tell that he's definitely. Lean, uh, way more lean than when he was uh, in ROH. So it was, you know, such a, a drastic improvement in his physique and uh, just his his athleticism is just really bar none. I think, yeah, I think Cedric Alexander is one of the five or ten guys that will get signed after this for sure. I think uh, Ibushi and Zack Saber, like I think that'll be the finals probably Ibushi and Zack Saber, but Cedric's really awesome. I, He's, he's really come around the last couple of years, especially he's improved in every area. Oh, yeah. Fantastic. Absolutely, he is. All right, so to the headlines, Paul Heyman contract expires with the WWE. There's a bit of a holdup right now as far as uh, the reason why and there's no re-signing. Uh, it's been reported uh, by many sources uh, and many uh, sites uh, with, throughout uh, that the, the, the holdup, one of the main reasons of the holdup is because uh, Paul Heyman wants to, to endeavor in outside projects, including a new reality show, and the WWE is trying to, you know, be WWE and try to kind of, yeah. uh, you know, strong arm people's contracts, and he wants a little bit more freedom, so there's a holdup. Um, this shouldn't go into SummerSlam. He shouldn't, he shouldn't comp- accompany uh, Brock Lesnar. But just with the new, uh, with, with the new information and the breaking news that we saw on Raw, with Brock Lesnar being there next week, I saw that. I said this on my Facebook Live last night. How and I'm and I'm posing this question to you: How is it going to be with Brock Lesnar? Because they're not advertising Heyman at all. 
So it seems as if they're just going to give Brock Lesnar a mic, have him be in the middle of the ring, and I'm not expecting him to say anything above the standard of Paul say something stupid. Okay. Um, I, I think Paul's going to be there. I think they probably had some verbal agreement in place or whatever, or something like a per appearance kind of deal. Like maybe Paul's like, okay, just pay me when Brock wants, you know? Just pay me, you know, when Brock is in appearance, pay me X amount of dollars, that kind of thing. And I think they have such a relationship over the years that they could probably work something out. And it was noticeable too that they did have feature Heyman and some video packages on last week, I believe. So uh, I think I think they gotta have him around. I mean, you can't just stick Lesnar out there by himself. Like you said, he's not a great talker or anything like that. Unless you have him stay in the ring, you feed uh, uh, social outcast members to him, like Chris Axel and Bo Dallas or whatever. But other than that, I, I just don't know what they can really do with it without Heyman. They're gonna kind of talk of Lesnar. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he has to be. He has to be there. It's, there's no no doubt about it. Uh, the next headline: Kev, Kevin Nash has interest in returning to the WWE as uh, Dolph Ziggler's muscle. Uh, thumbs up or thumbs down for, on your uh, on your opinion? I'm not a huge Nash fan. I don't blame him for wanting to be on television because hey, he's 55 years old or whatever he is, and um, he's still in good shape. Obviously, I mean, I've seen pictures and he's been in movies and stuff like that, but. I don't see why WWE would be interested in doing that, but it's. I think it's a good point that Ziggler needs something. And granted, Ziggler already made on SmackDown. We'll, we'll get to that later, probably. But um, mm-hmm. I think I think like, Ziggler always kind of needed to be like the HBK and have a Diesel in there. Really, he had somebody. He had women managers and stuff like that. But like AJ Lee and and Vicky, and they stuck Big U with them for a bit. But you know, really had that uh, big bodyguard type. So I think Nash has a point that Ziggler could use something to get over the hump. But yeah. I don't see it happening now. No, no, I, I don't. And, and just, you know, Kevin Nash is, uh, you know, he is uh, inundated with uh, with quad jokes. And, uh, you know, you never <laughs> know about that quad, you know, <laughs> in any moment it's uh, susceptible to tear. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, he's at the point now that uh, – you know, he wouldn't really be an intimidating force. You know, back in the Diesel days, it was great. He was awesome, you know, to Shawn Michaels. The funny thing is, you know, Dolph Ziggler is 36 years old now, so it's one of those things that if you wanted to do this, you're about 10 years too late. Yeah. yeah if, if Nash is in his 50s, he could have done it, but, I mean, he's in his 50s also. And it's like, like you said, Ziggler's at a point in his career doesn't really need it, too, so. I yeah, exactly. yep. Brock Lesnar not receiving uh, any fines from UFC, uh, nor is he getting suspended from the WWE for violating drug tests. And of course, you know, like I said, you know, the WWE revealed last night on Raw that he's actually going to appear uh, next week on the show. So, uh, do you think this is do you think this is a double standard for for the WWE? Well, he didn't fail their drug test, and apparently. Um, I don't know if you saw this. It came out on TMZ this evening, late this evening. Um, they said they have a quote from the police saying part-timers don't get trust tested like in the wellness policy. So mm-hmm. maybe Lesnar's never been tested by them. And I guess that means Triple H doesn't get tested, right? Or man, right? Um, oh, yeah. I'm not insinuating anything, but honestly, if those guys said <laughs> something, why would we care? Like, who cares, right? Like, um, you, you know what? 
about stuff like that man I, I just I'm not a big fan of it you know it's one of those things that it, it just doesn't make the WWE look good if you're first of all you come from the heels of suspending your top guy for 30 days to the fact that you stripped him from the title you know and it's like you you suspend your you suspend your top guy for 30 days for you know, reportedly is uh, it was um, I think it was like something like an antidepressant or something like that. Or, uh, or something. Yeah. yeah. So so it was, you know, it's it, it, it's it's from a, from it's a psychological, you know, uh, um, uh, help. You know, as far as 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 far as uh, what what Reigns was popped for, and you know. There, there's some reports on what Lesnar was popped for, but it definitely wasn't an antidepressant. Uh, and so I just don't think it's a good look from an image of the WWE um, from making sure, because you have to understand from a morale standpoint, you have this year alone, you have someone being suspended for 60 days for grabbing Vince McMahon's arm. You have someone yeah. suspended for 30 days, you know, um, for for uh, getting pop for a wellness policy, which was Adam Rose. You have you have Roman Reigns also getting suspended for thirty days for a wellness policy. So you have these, and you have uh, Victor um, getting uh, or Connor getting suspended for thirty days for a well. Uh, I think it was I think it was his was sixty, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So so you have these you have all of these suspensions this year for wellness policy and for just a. Uh, morale killer, or just you know, what I mean, and you, you you have all these things, and, you, and you're trying to you're trying to enforce all these things, but you have Brock Lesnar, who was tested positive for violating, uh, you know, the the UFC's uh, drug policy, uh, wellness and uh, uh, drug policy, and so for some reason that. Like admittedly, he, he know he was he was popped. He, he was he was positive, tested positive, and for some reason the WWE is taking that as you know, see no evil, hear no evil. You know, eyes closed, you know, mouth shut, you know, uh, ears ears you know covered type of mentality towards it. I think it just kind of lowers the morale of the WWE locker room, saying, okay, well. You know, I'm getting pop. I'm, I'm getting violated and suspended, and fine for this stuff. But you have someone, you know, of course, on the caliber of Brock Lesnar. But here's my question to you: Do you think that, you know, if Brock Lesnar was outside of SummerSlam, and I understand that, you know, he's not even on TV enough that his 30 days really wouldn't make a difference for him because even if he gets suspended for 30 days after SummerSlam, he would have been gone for 30 days anyways. So what, what should the WWE do in this case? Well, I think you brought up some good points and um, 
Like I, I'm, I'm taking a, an attitude of, of their side of it. It's just that you know we didn't we didn't test them. We didn't he didn't fail our test. So why should we suspend him? Right? That's their side of it. And mm-hmm. like you said though, the PR thing is like you can't avoid it. Like it's all over the news. Like it's funny how it's like ESPN those segments are of eight people. Yeah, they can also report Brock Lesnar being you know suspended for this kind of stuff. And W will ignore it, and it's just like. They did have Randy Orton take a shot at it at Battleground, so that was kind of interesting. Um, yeah. I, I think for Dewey's perspective, they're just going to, like, you know, we need Brock Lesnar to sell SummerSlam tickets. We're advertising. We're not going to take it off. He didn't fail a drug test for us, so we're not going to suspend him. And I think, I can see either side of it, but I can see what you're saying, too, that it does send a bad message to the rest of the company. Because it's like, because the guys in the mid-card or whatever are going to be like, well, if I fail a test, I'm going to be suspended because this is my job. And if Brock gets, you know, suspended by UFC, who has you know, different testing policy and everything, um, then the company won't punish him at all. So it's just kind of, you know, the whole thing's kind of funny because after the UFC 100 fight, 200 fight, I mean, they were celebrating it like our guy won, you know, like it was like a huge mm-hmm. thing. And now it's just like a black cloud over it. It was just like shit. I mean, damn, we wish, we wish that, that didn't happen, right? So. Yeah. Yeah, you know, and, and here's here's the problem with that. Even even with that, you know, it's you know back in uh, about ten years ago, we we encountered you know something similar to this with the whole signature pharmacy, you know, incident. Yeah. And signature pharma pharmacy had nothing to do with the WWE. You know, they're not they weren't a third party, you know. Um, company for the WWE or anything like that. You know, there was a list of names who prescribed drugs drugs from Signature Pharmacy, and as a result, you know, people like uh, Chavo Guerrero and Mr. Kennedy, uh, Randy Orton, uh, you know, those those top, John Morrison was another person, those top names were suspended. You know, William Regal, um, and those names were suspended for prescribing, you know, drugs from Signature Pharmacy. So that was an outside incident, you know, that was away from the WWE, WWE, and you're top right, names. Yeah. yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I'm saying you're right. And I believe was it Sports Illustrated that did a report on it? Was that right? What's that? Was it Sports Illustrated that, that leaked the Signature Pharmacy names? And yep. Like that? And that's how it got yeah, in the news. Yep, SI reported it was it was probably a couple dozen names that they reported, um, or at least uh, yeah, it was about a couple close to a couple about twenty to twenty, 20 between twenty and twenty five, um, and uh, and, uh, and a chunk of them got suspended, um, and so again outside and away from uh, the, the the WWE, this is the same thing. This is you know this is something away from the WWE, and this even has. And this is even from a wider stance, from from a PR standpoint, because this whole signature pharmacy was, I mean that that wasn't uh, they, they they found that out, uh, and there was a list of names. It wasn't like a public thing. They suspended a, a list of people because of names that were, you know, pres- because of people who prescribed. This is a huge thing. This is UFC, you know, a a, a company as you know bigger than the WWE. And you know, even with that, it's just it just it just seems like they're kind of grasping for straws to try to have that marquee name, 
Uh, and, and Brock Lesnar is the marquee name. He's the crossover name that, you know, is, is a marketing, you know, gold mine for the WWE. So because of that, you know, they're not going to, you know, uh, reprimand him. I, I think it's just, I think it's unfair. I, even if it's a fine, you know, I think that, uh, that would, that would create some type of fairness to this whole situation. Yeah, I mean, they could, they could probably send out a press release and say, we find Brock Lesnar 50,000 or whatever. And yeah, 50,000 is a drop in a bucket. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But even if it's nothing, you know, even if it's $50,000, which is, you know, a couple of blinks for him, you know, it's still something. It's still from a PR standpoint, you know, to, to like I said, it's a, it's a morale booster, you know, on, on the WWE locker rooms and like, man, you know, they're not doing anything, you know, with Brock Lesnar. That's, he's a part-timer. He comes in, he makes all this money, you know, and he was gone for seven years and, you know, he still, you know, he still has the opportunity to, um, you know, to, to get all this favoritism. So, you know, hopefully something, Hopefully something's done, you know, from this instead of just absolutely nothing. I just think that's unfair. All right, so Teddy Long says that Shelton Benjamin and MVP are returning to WWE. MVP denies reports, uh, kind of re- denies the reports. But as we saw on SmackDown, uh, Shelton Benjamin's in. He, he's locked in. Haven't heard anything from MVP, but uh, he was he was right in at least one of his uh, – uh, he was on the Gerwig report. I actually talked to uh, Steve Gerwig uh, a few weeks ago, and um, yeah, he uh, he was uh, he was right. He said he had a conversation with them, and uh, they they revealed to him that they're in. I probably uh, probably he wasn't supposed to say that, but uh, you know you know when you're when you're in the public uh, arena like that and you're podcasting, and it's you know has the opportunity to be you know widespread and just uh, delivered to thousands upon thousands of people you're going to have people talking about a subject like that and that's definitely a buzzworthy topic so you know he probably slipped it out but uh it came out and uh spoiled it for benjamin in a way uh you know and so here's my question since we know that benjamin's in what role does he have in the wwe and then is mvp even worth trying to obtain I mean, for the roster depth, right? I think, like, Benjamin is I believe, 41 years old right now, and MVP might be 43, 44, something like that. So mm-hmm. they're at a point in their careers where, you know, they don't have that many years left as active wrestlers. But I think if you're, in, if you're in their position, it's better to be in WWE than work somewhere else at this point because you can get that exposure on national television and worldwide television and, you know, maybe they get uh, agent jobs after or whatever. And, you know, the roles on the current pro- programs right now, I think, would be just to provide roster depth. Like, if you saw that the role tonight on SmackDown, it was like there wasn't that many people in the ring. Like, there's only, like, 20 guys on the roster right now, so mm-hmm. uh, 25 or something like that. So, it's you got to add bodies. It's just what it is. I mean, they had Rhino and Shelton Benjamin's coming back, and they're both in their 40s, and MVP. You know, I think with MVP, where there's smoke, there's fire, like, the fact that he kind of mentioned it before and then he denied it. I think the company tells people to deny it until it's official, right? So, right. Um, yeah. I remember talking with Kevin Steen in person 
Bailey being a one-time thing doesn't make any sense to me. Um, because because there's nothing else for her to do on NXT. I mean, chasing the title again to to win it for the second time against, you know, here's the thing: make Oscar the person, make that make Oscar the 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 top person for NXT, the top woman for NXT. You know, Bailey had a, a run that was very long. Um, so I would I would do that. I mean, you you have some some upstarts. Uh, I would bring up, you know, I, I would uh, bring some indie people. Uh, you have uh, Santana. Um, uh, what's her name? Garrett. What's, what's her name? Santana Garrett. Yeah, Santana Garrett. Yeah. Um, Tessa was, uh, yeah, yeah. I was about to say Tessa Blanchard. Um, so you have. Uh, I mean, you know, you had Britt Baker, you know, job out on Raw, but I think that uh, if you put her on SmackDown, she's, you know, she's popular in the Indies. So, you know, it's, it, you have enough talent, you have enough, you know, options. Um, you know, I'd bring Chelsea back, you know, from uh, uh, Tough Enough. And, yeah. you know, they're, they're, they're doing Mandy Rose more of a, uh, more of a total divas. Um, but yeah, you you have you have people chomping at the bit of developmental, you know, wanting to get that spot. Uh, so you have you know you can you can build the the women's division from the ground up. I I, I would do that, uh, but I would also have you know some notable names as well. But I'll make Oscar the person. I don't you know it's just kind of I think that Bailey's overstayed her welcome uh, in NXT. <laughs> Um, and I think that doing a one-time thing wasn't a very good idea. Wyatt Family and New Day, uh, I really liked that story. I think it was one of the uh, the only the only weekly segments that actually told a, a good story when they had the swamp match and you yeah. know uh, uh, Xavier Woods being scared and yeah. finally kind of uh, you know uh, kind of facing his fears. Um, but the the thing is, it was just weird to me that they they made this storyline. He faced his fears, and within you know twenty seconds, you know he got uh, Mister Abigail, and it was done. Yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it, was, it, was, it was just seems weird. I, I like that Bray got the win because Bray hasn't been booked well for like six months or more. So I was encouraged by that. I thought he was going to win on SmackDown tonight. That didn't happen. So. I was like, okay, what are they doing with Bray now? I don't know. So there's all these questions. What's Bray going to do? Because I thought, I mean, Bray wins that, and then you can have a main event against Ambrose kind of thing, like on SmackDown, right? It makes sense, but yeah. I don't know what they're doing. I think New Day losing is not a big deal because they're tag champs. And we saw what they did on Raw, and I think that's what they did for them to face Gallows and Anderson. So no loss for me. Like you said, it was a good story and a fun match. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a fun match. It was a good story. I you know I don't I don't know I just think it would have been better if Rowan would have taken would have taken the fall, yeah. um, you know I mean just because they're, I mean there's they're they're pushing Strowman, uh, of course you know Bray Wyatt's still going to have that you know strong presence, but you know Eric Rowan is he's talking about Mister Relevant you know Curtis Axel, uh, you know uh, Eric Rowan should don that name as well. Mr. Relevant number two, because he just he, he just can't really find his niche, you know, and they're, if they're going to push him as a singles person again, that 
Oh man, I mean the first one was a, a disaster, <laughs> and and this one's not going to be much uh, much better. He needs um, Luke back. He needs Luke Harper back fast. <laughs> I agree. I, I agree. And yeah, maybe they'll maybe they'll do something like that with the Wyatts kind of rejoining yeah. with Harper going to SmackDown, and I'll be okay with that. But but yeah. Eric Rowan needs Bray Wyatt. I mean, there's there's no doubt about that. I agree. Yeah. yeah. Um, yeah, so so battle round was okay overall. Um, they're really sticking at the Roman Reigns though, uh, and and that's going to trans, you know, that's going to trans uh, transition us over to Raw. Uh, they're really can sticking at the Roman Reigns. Can I talk about Zayn Owens for a second, just cause, yeah, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Oh yeah, that, that match was amazing. Absolutely. Yeah, that was like the one of the matches of the year, I thought. And um, for people that don't know me, I'm a Canadian, so uh, when I see Zayn and Owens, they're from uh, Montreal area, Toronto area, but um, it's like when we, I don't know. You, you know how Canadians are. Like when we see Canadian wrestlers, they're one of us, right? Like we take so much pride with them. Oh, so yeah. when I see these, I'm just they remind me of like Eddie and Christian the way that they kind of grew up in the business together. They're best friends, legitimately, and all this kind of stuff. But Edge and Christian didn't feud that long, and these two have already feuded a lot, so it's been kind of fun. And this match I thought was exceptional, like the way that they just. Uh, went back and forth, and I mean, they were hitting physical moves. Like, did you see that spot when Zayn did the moves off the land on the shoulder? I, mean, I was scared. Oh, yeah. I mean, that, that would have been a plant spot. I don't even know, like, to be honest. Like, it could have been. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't think it was, but it could have been. And mm-hmm. um, and the other thing is, this was Zayn's first pay per view win. You know that? Like, he hasn't won a pay per view since he debuted in January. So I think it was pretty significant. I think the announcers could have put it on as a bigger deal. But they, you know, they they kind of thought it was a big deal, but not big enough. But yeah. I mean, that was one of the best matches of the year. I, I think Zane Nakamura is still number one, but this one's probably the top three. Yeah, I you know what I was thinking about that. Whether it's uh, Nakamura, uh, Zane, or Zane Owens, and I'm a big Nakamura fan. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he yeah he's terrible. Uh, but it's. I I may edge this one over, uh, Nakamura oh, yeah. and Zane. Uh, because the 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 back and forth between and the emotion that was with Zane and uh, Nakamura was incredible. But I, I'm old school, man. I, you know, I'm I'm about psychology. Yeah. And it told a story. I was so tired of of, of looking at a Zane Owens match. Every it just seemed like they fought every week. I think that the build was horrible um, because I'm, I'm a big fan of not a lot of physicality until, you know, the, the, the match. The match. Yeah. You know I mean, this, this, and the money is in, you know, the, the video promos, you know, and, and the, the packages and, you know, the teases and all that. That's, that's where the anticipation comes. The money is in, you know, the physicality comes uh, you know, in the match, the pay per view, that that big moment, and they they just overdid that. I wasn't a big fan of that at all. But the story that they told, you know, in the match was awesome, uh, especially great. when he got, he, especially when he hit the halluva kick, and then you know he kind of holds him up, picked him up, yeah. yeah, exactly, and then he hit it again. You know, this this the emotion. You know, what, the last time I saw that type of emotion was. Uh, Shawn Michaels and Ric Flair, you know, during their match, you know, and I think that that was, uh, I, I love that type of emotion in the match. So it was really cool. 
What are your role takeaways? Um, yeah, I, I thought it was a above average show. I think I like I, I give a score on every pay per view, and I think I give like an eight out of ten. I think it's tied Money in the Bank as my second favorite this year. So um, as my top two, like Money in the Bank and this one, because to me when you when you have three or four matches that are at a high level, like I thought the six man with Cena was really good too, and yeah. It, it's just solid, good booking. Like I think people complain about the little things so much, but when you look at the pay per views, the matches usually get time. They're going three hours and twenty minutes on these kind of shows now. It kind of drags sometimes, but I mean, you're going to get fifteen, twenty minutes for high-profile matches. And like you said, it's about having the match. It's like back in the day when we we're paying thirty or forty dollars for a pay per view. It's like now we're we're getting a lot cheaper, but which is good for us. But you know, it's like. They're delivering on the pay-per-views, like that's what they're building for, and I think they're doing a good job on those. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, what are your raw takeaways? Um, well, I think I think it's a unique show because of the the roster split. Like it was very, you know, this is the last time Cena's going to team with these two. This is the last time AJ's going to. So there was a lot of that, and there was it was kind of weird storylines in some senses, but. My overall takeaway is I mean, the quality of work was there, and I'm optimistic about the future of this roster. I mean, once guys like Finn Balor and Samoa Joe and Nakamura are on these pay-per-views, like the work's gonna be even better, right? So we're gonna be spoiled as hell by these pay-per-views. Yeah, with with Finn Balor, um, you know, a lot of people might get upset with me, um, but here's the thing: he, he's one of my he's one of my favorite um, wrestlers with, without without question. Um, and but here's the thing: you you have to you have to make sure uh, that that you don't that someone doesn't peak too soon. And, you know, I remember that with Seamus, you know, back in the uh, uh, years back. And, you know, it, it was one it was one of those things um, that he is. Are you back on? You looks like you're back on, John. Let's see how your audio is. <laughs> yeah, sorry okay. about that. Oh, no problem. Uh, all right. So, you know, with with uh, and I was talking about with uh, with Finn Balor and you were talking about above average show. Here's my thing. People may not like this, and I said this on my face. I have a Raw review on my Crave Wrestling Facebook page every Monday night after Raw. I'm a huge Finn Balor guy uh, fan. He he's one of my top five. I love his character. I'm a big fan of characters. Characters, characters, characters. Love Finn Balor. Following him when he was Devitt um, in, in in Japan. But here's the thing. I I had a problem with Raw. I had a problem with his quest on Raw because the, the, the creative cannot assume and they cannot book as if P- 
people know who he is. And yeah. I think that I think the problem lies in where you know the, the WWE is looking to such a small niche market of you know say you know you have a million and a half people who are watching who are sub subscribers of the WWE network. You have about uh, double that to you know uh, that that watches Raw who, who, who from a rating standpoint about three million three and a half million. So you're saying so basically half of the people who see Finn Balor out on Mondays don't know who he is or are vaguely unfamiliar or vaguely familiar of who he is. I think that it's unfair for Finn Balor, especially someone of his character. I think it's unfair to just kind of thrust him into that spot without properly building him. That's that's just my opinion on that because I you know, putting him in a in a title match, a world title match or a universal title match, horrible name by the way. A universal uh, title match for the WWC, I mean WWE. <laughs> um but yeah, it's you know, you can't you can't to me and this is my opinion, you can't do that for someone who you want to be the future of your company. And I think that Finn Balor has he has everything. You know, he has the tools, he has the character down packed. Of course, the wrestling ability speaks for itself. But you can't pick someone too fast. You did that with Sheamus a few years back, and Sheamus hasn't been the same since. I mean, he won the world oh, title too. Yeah, he, yeah, yeah. He 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 won the he won the title two months after he debuted on the main roster. Two months, and they peaked him way too soon. And he hasn't re- rebounded since. And that was what uh, to ten two thousand nine. Yeah, so yeah. that was seven years ago. You know, nearly seven years ago. It was a TLC, a TLC of that year. And so yeah. you're, you're approaching seven years ago, and he hasn't rebounded since as far as being a, a top guy. I mean, he's had some, you know, world title, you know, reigns, and he, he's had some decent feuds. Um, but, you know, especially when it comes as a baby face, you have to prepare a baby face. You have to – the chase, the money's in the chase, make him chase, make him chase. Who's the foe? Who's the big foe that he's going to, people are going to rally with him behind. And Finn Balor has, you know, he has the paint, he has the entrance. It's so mega star like. And if you put him a month after his roster debut in a title match, to me as a fan, I don't think it's a good idea. I'd rather for him to be built up, to be that character, to be that megastar, instead of the WWE just say, okay, we'll just, you know, and it's one of those things that, to me, I think Vince McMahon books people like Finn Balor from a size standpoint. He's like, you know what, we're going to, we're going to alley-oop you this, <laughs> and it's it's a very tough alley-oop. We hope you slam dunk it, but if you don't slam dunk it, don't blame my bad alley-oop. That's basically how yeah. I feel about it. I, I see everything that you're saying, but I think it's a case of um, they know that the product was a bit stale uh, with Roman at the top. And because of Roman's – I think, like I was telling people, I said, if Roman didn't get suspended, there's no way he's getting pins at money in the day, at Battleground, and on Raw. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's getting punished for – you know, 30 days, and that's fine. I, I totally get it, but 
Like, there's no way Finn beats him clean on Raw if Roman does not have a suspension, right? Right. You agree on that? So, I agree. So it's like, it's like, I think your point is valid in the sense that they need to do more with him. I would have had him talk for like two minutes, like just kind of, you know, I'm Finn Balor, I'm here to do this. I, I, I busted my butt in Japan for whatever, 10 years. I came to be a conquered NXT. I, I won the uh, NXT title. I became the most popular man there. Just talk a, a little about the crowd. I know that's not a strong suit, though. Like, this promo's not that great, necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I mean, at least it gives people something to like him about, about him or whatever. And, I mean, they did hear, like, a quick video package, but it wasn't that much. So, I think what you're, what you're saying was valid. But at the same time, it's like they needed something fresh, and I think it's good that they did something fresh. And, you know, he, he's considered new. Even though he's 35 years old, and like you said, you follow him for 15 years probably. And I followed him a bit in Japan too. And it's just like, he's not new to us necessarily, but like you said, though, to the people watching at home, he is new. And, mm-hmm. like he, and the thing with the 1.5 million network subscribers, I guarantee you that like, maybe a third of them watch NXT. Like, how many people watch NXT? We don't really know, right? So, a lot of those people that have the network are only watching uh, the current pay per views. Or exactly. the older ones, or whatever. They're not watching this series, so exactly. Um, yeah. It's not hardcore <laughs> like us and, and, and people like us, but uh, I think his response was good. The only crowd believes him, and the fact that he's 190 pounds helps because he's an underdog, so mm-hmm. that helps. I think you make some real good points there. And here's the thing: I mean, the crowd was behind him initially. And I, and I was very observant uh, to to how they booked Finn Balor. The the the, the main event match. People already had a Finn Balor overkill because yeah. I, I I observed you know the reaction towards his second entrance and it was just like a mid card match it was just it was a mid card response you know as far as they had uh, the the second go around I'm like oh man you know not already that's the reason why you know yeah. the the whole too much too soon came to my head and you know are they peaking him too too quickly and. You also made a very good point as far as the sub- subscribers for the WWE Network. There's a million and a half, around a million and a half subscribers, but not the entire million and a half people watch NXT. So that even lowers the number, you know, as yeah. far as, you know, people who are weekly watch NXT. And here's the thing, and I do like the fact that they don't have, you know, certain big names on there every week. It kind of it kind of brings an old school feel to it. Like, you know, Hogan wouldn't be on you know, shows every week because it it enhances his character if he's not there all every week. That they do that they do that with Finn Balor, they do that with Shinsuke Nakamura, they do that with Samoa Joe. I like that a lot. The detriment to that, you know, from a from a WWE network NXT uh, you know, new viewer standpoint is wonder if I'm an, uh, a casual NXT viewer on the WWE network and it's, you know, I watch a week. This week, Finn Balor is not on there. They don't even mention him. And then yeah. I watch it a month later, and he's not on there again. You know, and then and then all of a sudden, he he appears on Raw. And I'm like, I, I don't know who this guy is. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> you know, and so that that's the dilemma to me. I think that Finn Balor's character is so amazing, and he deser- it deserves to be built better. I, I strongly feel that way, so. Yeah, and and I think that Nia Jax is good. I like the squash match with Nia Jax. Um, Braun Strowman, I still don't see much going on with him, but 
Uh, I like how they interviewed uh, James Ellsworth. I think that was hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I was a big. I was a big fan of that. If you're gonna have squash matches, at least you know do stuff like that. I think that was very funny. Uh, the women's match was excellent. I thought Sasha and Charlotte. Uh, oh yeah. And it was treated like a big deal. Like they hyped it up. They announced it the start of the show. Like if they announced it before the show, I think that would have been better. But um, a lot of people expected this at SummerSlam, right? Because uh, at WrestleMania, Charlotte uh, retained the title. There was like, well, Sasha was off television for like three, four months, and they're saving it for SummerSlam. And I get why they did it here instead. But do you think that's a bad thing that they didn't save it until SummerSlam? I do, um, only because of this, and I and I said this on my review, only because this is Sasha Banks's first reign, and yeah. I think that they and I think that it they should have waited to SummerSlam. I think it should have been a screwy finish. I think that the Charlotte should have uh, walked out uh, of the match. I mean, they you could have had all of the amazing yeah, stuff again after getting kicked out or something. You could do that too. Exactly, and and they could have had the uh, the match was incredible. It was it was great. It was long. It, it it was it was energetic. It was emotional. Had all the components of an amazing match. But I think it would it would have had so much more heat on Charlotte leading into SummerSlam if she would have just rolled out, you know, and uh, you know if Dana Brooke would have came back out after she was uh, ejected. And, and would have uh, pulled Charlotte out. They could have ran back. Just imagine so much heat that would have been yeah. on her because of that. And the more heat you get as a heel, the better you put over the baby face. And I think that that was the missing component of this. I understand they needed to create the shock value, the first one, you know, from the split, the, the new era. I get it. I get why they did it. I totally get why they did it. The only problem I have with that is it's Sasha's first title run, and I think it kind of diminishes the feel of it, of the the, the first run, especially when Sasha's the, the person. She's going to be the face of of the, the woman's division from at least a babyface point of view. And I think yeah. it just kind of diminishes, you know, the, 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 uh, the, the moment a bit because it was this one instead of, instead of SummerSlam. But the crowd at SummerSlam would be a lot more into it, too. Like, the Pittsburgh crowd is pretty solid. I'm not going to criticize them too bad, but at SummerSlam, it would have been a huge moment, right? So, oh, yeah. Uh, it, uh, it, SummerSlam, we remember SummerSlam stuff like we remember WrestleMania stuff. Like, you know, it's more of a more of a thing that is going to last forever. With this, I'm going to forget the date that she won the panel this time. You know? Yeah. Whereas if it was SummerSlam, I would remember it, so. Like I remember exactly. her Bailey last year in SummerSlam weekend had that memorable match, and so yep. that's why I remember it because that's what it was. It was like that's, and but I get I get why they do it. New era, new champion, and like you said, the match was great. I like the wrists. Like Banks did the suicide dive. She almost broke her neck though. I was yeah. kind of worried there. Uh, when yeah. you're like 110 pounds, like her, you probably shouldn't be doing those moves sometimes. Yeah. Um, and then Charlotte does a moonsault outside the ring on the floor. I'm just like that's crazy too. But, yeah. You know, she's a good athlete, but it's like, you don't have to do that stuff. No, uh, you don't have to. Yeah. Really yeah, and I, and I agree with you as far as the uh, SummerSlam. SummerSlam is once a year, so you can say SummerSlam 2016. Raw is every week, so it's just one Raw out of 52. 
You know what I mean? Yeah. So all the Raws are just kind of compiled into in, into one bunch. It's one of those Raws that she won the, the women's title. You know, as a, it was one Raw in July. I don't remember the date. You know, when you when you think of it from, you know, a, a reminiscent standpoint, you know, years you know years from now. Oh yeah, one of those Raws. That that Raw after the split. I don't remember. It was in July sometime. You know, as as opposed to SummerSlam 2016 Brooklyn. You know what I mean, and and I think and I think that uh, there's a there's a backstory too when it comes to Brooklyn. You know, she lost the NXT title uh, in yeah. Brooklyn. You know, what I mean, it could be more of a redemptive story. You know, what I mean that that could have came from that. So I think, uh, you know, it's one of those things that I've noticed throughout the years that WWE creative have much of a knee jerk uh, um, booking style nowadays. Um, which I think is, is is harmful in many cases um, because it doesn't really stretch out characters. It doesn't really develop people uh, properly. It doesn't really develop storylines properly and enough for people to be fully engaged uh, in it. So, real quick, what is your uh, what are your takeaways from tonight's SmackDown or last night's SmackDown? Um, it was it was kind of. You know how, like, on Raw, they kind of tried to have a new feel to it, and it was just, the set was very, like, plain. Uh, yeah. They didn't have a stage. Uh, they didn't have anything by the staging area. There's no ramp on SmackDown, which is fine. Um, it's basically the same set that they have on pay-per-views where they just cover the fireworks on the sides, and there's really nothing to it. And then they used a different camera, and I don't know if you noticed it, uh, it was from like the NXT show in like 2010, 2011. Um, it's like that, that camera right above the ring kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, some people were complaining about it. I saw on Twitter and stuff, but you know I don't mind it. Like I'll be used to it, but they kind of went through it too often. I thought so. They'll probably shut down on it. They'll, they'll probably see what the feedback is and stuff like that. Um, and then it was really a one match show. Like I, I like Natalia and Becky's match. I thought this match was better than the Battleground match. Both of them were pretty solid. It was like Natty wins the one, Becky wins the other. And then the main event was like, it was a six-pack challenge, and I thought Bray Wyatt was going to win for sure because I'm like, okay, Dean Ambrose in the main event uh, for the WWE title. Maybe not the main event. I think Lesnar match Michael main event. But mm-hmm. um, uh, it's like Ziggler ends up winning, and I'm just like, I was happy for him, but at the same time, Ziggler like you could say the whole show, man, uh, the storylines are so big, and it's like Ziggler's been a loser for how many years now? Like, he, he lost <laughs> yeah. the very cool, like, five times, and now he's winning a contender match. So, yeah. just weird. Very, very good point, man. I, I agree. He, you know, he, he's he been irrelevant for so long. I was happy from a fan, because I've been, I've been indifferent toward Dolph Ziggler for quite some time now. Yeah. You know, a few years ago, the the beginning of his babyface run and the whole Alberto Del Rio, you know, when he cast it in and then became face not too long after that. I think that they could have, I mean, the concussion hurt him. Um, uh, but it's just, they could have really ran with that as far as him being a top babyface. The fans have always been, you know, behind him most of the time. Uh, but, you know, it's, it's for for SmackDown, I, I was pleasantly, pleasantly surprised. You know, I think that Dolph Ziggler can be groomed as one of the top baby faces for for SmackDown. I think Cena's, you know, kind of going in, I think Cena's in that upper mid-card role that he's not 
such an asset to the company that he can, you know, he cannot be there for a week and he won't be missed. I think that yeah. they're kind of doing that now with the whole Espy's thing. He wasn't there. You know, there was another date that he wasn't there, but he wasn't such a prominent role in the show that it was like, oh man, Cena's gone. So I think that's where he is now, and, and that's cool. You know, he's paid his dues. He's been there for 14 years. Uh, so you know, it's it's cool. I'm I'm fine with that. I think that's actually a good idea. Uh, Dolph Ziggler still got some time left in him. Uh, he's got a good five years left in him. You know, he's 36. He's you know, in in wrestling years, that's that's a bit up there. Um, but at yeah. the same time, you know, he's he's still got a few years left in him. He's got he's got a fresh win. He has the opportunity at 36 to have a fresh win, and I think that that's good for him um, to to give us you know, a good few years left, and and I think that that's good. To, to make him a face of SmackDown, at least for the next few years, a few years, one of the faces of SmackDown. So I was pleasantly surprised at that decision to, to, to make him. I wasn't opposed to it just because I, I think that it's a good, fresh win for SmackDown to make him. I think that Dolph Ziggler, if booked correctly, I think he has more star power than Dean Ambrose because yeah. he looks like a champion. He looks like a star as opposed to Ambrose, if that makes sense. Um, uh, well, you can see, you can see with Ziggler and Balor, they got two number one contenders that are like two hundred pound guys. Like they're not that big, so it's kind of cool yeah. that they're they're kind of expanding the horizons a bit. The one thing exactly. I, think, I think the way it's going to be is uh, Ziggler's just a guy for like Ambrose to beat until they get uh, against AJ Styles because they want to do Styles against Cena, and then mm-hmm. Styles will face Ambrose after that, and then um, I think Styles will win the title from Ambrose at some point in the fall. So, yeah. I can see that. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely see that. I was, uh, you know, he was, Styles was actually my pick to win. I didn't necessarily want him to win per se, but I I, I thought it was going to be Ambrose Styles um, just because of those things he held I just, you know, time after time, they've tried so many things with Wyatt and he's reached yeah. the glass ceiling each and every time. I didn't think this time would have been anything different, and, and, and it wasn't. You know, I don't, I don't know exactly what they're going to do with him, but it didn't. Well, he, uh, he's not in the world title picture, so I don't know what's next. Um, a couple other takeaways, before, real quick, before we get to the feather week. Um, the the woman segment was weird. Eva Marie is just horrible, yeah. and, and for, for some reason, they just continue to make her like a goddess. It was just horrible. Um, Miss TV was weird because why are you going to have Randy Orton Russell against the Intercontinental Champion? One, that dilutes the prestige of the Intercontinental title, which they should not do. And two, yeah. it would have been better if they would just held off for Orton, you know, to wrestle and come back against Lesnar. That just didn't make any sense to me. Um, I like the fact that they had Apollo Crews win the Battle Royal and be the main event. I think that that was a good way to make him relevant. Uh, but you know, it was you know it was one of those things that in the very beginning I tweeted you know it was it, it it's a fresh it's a fresh look I liked it, but toward the end of the show by the end of the show it still felt like B SmackDown to me. Yeah, it, I was I was optimistic that it was going to be like uh, memorable and good. Like, I thought Raw was excellent and I thought SmackDown was very average, so it just didn't live up to the expectations. But the event was. Getting their finishers and then Ziggler kind of winning was a surprise because he never usually wins at the super kick too. So it's like the fact right. that he went with the super kick is, is nowhere near also. And 
you know, super kicks are done in every match, it seems, these days, but uh, poor H3K, everyone's doing his move everywhere. Because they all grew up watching him, probably. <laughs> poor, so. poor gentleman Chris Adams. Let's even go further back. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, real quick, we've got five minutes for Flavor of the Week. It is now time for the Flavor of the Week. All right, real quick, we've got a few minutes left. Uh, without much explanation, we don't have much time for explanation, but just a, a quick, you know, five-second explanation after each match. John and I picked the um, – we're, we're doing a series right now leading into SummerSlam where – for five years, we pick uh, – well, for six years, uh, we pick our uh, favorite match with each of my guest co-hosts, um, for most of my guest co-hosts. And uh, this this uh, this year's – these years are 1994 to 1999. So let's start off with uh, 94. What was your favorite match in 94? That's an easy one. It's got to be Brett versus Owen in the steel cage. Nothing else is even close, really. <laughs> I totally agree. Yeah, that that was my favorite '94 to Steel Cage match. '95 uh, ladder match too. Shawn Michaels Razor Ramon. I mean, I don't know if people remember there was originally going to be Shawn and Sid, and then they just kind of realized the card sucked, and they just kind of put Shawn Razor two on it. So there you go. Yeah, I agree. That was my pick too. Uh, Shawn Razor two, uh, the ladder match. It was uh, just as good as the first one to me. '96. Um, there's, there's two that I like, uh, the Sean Vader and then Mankind Undertaker, uh, which is for them all, but I really like Sean Vader. Uh, the only thing was, I just didn't like that the finishes. I know there was some backstage politics with HBK not wanting to put him over and stuff, but was, I love Vader, so it was a good match. And 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 for all the listeners who who are listening live and will listen on iTunes and other various media outlets, I just gave John the the, the subject of the flavor of the week this week. I discussed nothing else with him. But funny enough, those were my two picks: the Boiler Room Brawl and Vader. But I wrote down Michaels versus Vader had the edge. Um, I think it, uh, they both was almost they both were almost a half an hour. Uh, but just the, yeah. the emotion that was with Michaels and Vader, just that whole David David and Goliath feel to it. I always love those type of matches, uh, and, and that's the reason why I had the edge. 97. And, and you just mentioned the time of those matches, and I'm like, I'm looking at 97, and it's like Brandon Undertaker match was like 30 minutes. Everything else was like, you know, less than 10, and then Austin Owen was like 15. So it's like, okay, one match gets way more time. It's going to be better usually. It's just what it is, so. <laughs> Um, the two yeah. mankind match was pretty good actually, but I'm gonna go Brett Undertaker with Shawn Michaels as ref. It's a whole steel chair shot that set, set off DX and everything like that later. Yeah, uh, for me it was uh, uh, Steve Austin versus Owen Hart just because of that. You know, a feud. The feud was awesome for a mid card feud. We need an Intercontinental title feud like that. You know, twenty yeah. years uh, later, um, we need for the prestige of the Intercontinental title to be like that. Um, and of course, uh, are, um, the power driver during that match was painful for Austin. Exactly. Yeah, and that was <laughs> very memorable. Career. Yep. Yeah. Ninety-eight. Um, probably Austin Undertaker the main event, the Highway to Hell theme. Uh, it was it wasn't a great card necessarily, but it was one of those things. Oh no, sorry, the ladder match. I forgot about the ladder match. Mm-hmm. Triple H Rock ladder match is definitely the best match. 
Yep, that was mine. Uh, very awesome emotion in that match. Ninety nine, a very, a very weak yeah. uh, SummerSlam. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> most of the, the ninety nine pay per views, like when Vince Russo's writing peak, I guess you could say the, the matches didn't matter as much. It seemed like I think Texas Jim McMahon is my favorite match in that show. The street fight, it was a lot of fun. And ladies and gentlemen, I have written on my piece of paper for 99, Tess versus Shane McMahon. Yeah. The <laughs> love her or leave her match. Yeah. Very interesting. All right, John, plug away, man. All right. Um, it works at TJRosing.net. You can follow me on Twitter at John Report. Uh, pretty active on there. Uh, I write about every show, most every show on WWE television, edit, and all that kind of stuff. I write to come back to film also couple other sites, but that's enough for now. Fantastic. Awesome, John. I had fun uh, being uh, sharing the hosting privileges with you, and uh, yeah, hopefully we'll have you on the show soon again. I appreciate you asking me, and I'm sorry about the audio delay at one point, but we got through it. Awesome. Thanks a lot, man. Take care. All right, ladies and gentlemen, that was uh, John Canton from TJR Wrestling. Ladies and gentlemen, this is it. Uh, 226 episodes in the books. Until next week, enjoy your week of wrestling. God bless. Chris Featherstone and Crave Wrestling for Pancakes and Power Slams 226. Signing off. God bless. Goodbye. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere. And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.